I'm reading from the book of Matthew chapter 26 and I would implore you to consider uh, in its totality this chapter and and its placement. A context is so critical in understanding and within the f- context lies the frame of time. And so if you have an understanding of that, then please make note of it and it'll help you with the with the word that the Spirit has has given us. Verse number 6 of Matthew chapter 26. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For, the, for this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor with you always, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, here is the fulfillment. Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall be also this, that this woman hath done. It will be told for a memorial of her. 2,000 years later, We're doing the very thing that Jesus had requested. Amen. I want to say I'm thankful for my pastors in my life. I've only had three. My father, um, Pastor Mooney, and Pastor Stark. And um, I'd like to end that way if if at all possible. And... um, grateful for them and and what they have done in their lives I'd like to tell you that I every word has a personal inspiration but that cannot be true probably it's from the exampleship by which I stand and preach so that maybe nothing was original. Maybe it was just what was exampled. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest upon all the people. And everybody said amen. Amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord and you may be seated.
If you will notice the book of Matthew in that it only has 28 chapters. We read from chapter 26. If you read ahead later, you'll find chapter 27 and 28 already displaying the betrayal and the death of Judas Iscariot as well as the torment of Jesus Christ, his imprisonment and the scourge and the cross. We are in a moment where the scene of the Lord's ambition, as it were, is set to take place. The purpose of his coming. There is no ambiguity here, especially in light of the first few verses of Matthew chapter 26. In verse 1, when Jesus had finished teaching, he said to his disciples in verse 2, You know that after two days is the feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. The NIV says it this way, As you know, the Passover is a couple of days away. The Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Now they knew that the Passover was coming. It was etched in stone, but they did not know of the Lord's impending death. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were oblivious to the hour of his capture and betrayal. Jesus said, we're two days away from the Passover. The Lamb is going to be slain, but... The disciples were incognizant of the spoken word. They just thought that everything will continue in perpetuity. They never thought there'd be a stoppage or an interruption. The miracles of the Lord had mounted up like a tower casting a long shadow. It covered their every move. They have nestled themselves in the safe confines of the Lord's fame. To the blind man healed in John, the twelve had taken comfort in the reply and disposition of the Pharisees, as for this blind man now healed. The enemies of the Lord could say nothing against it. That's where their comfort came from, as for the blind man, because no one could dispute the miracle. And so, That gave the disciples the ultimate security. The Lord's power and his wisdom confounded even the most ruthless and plotting men. Each time the Pharisees attempted to trap the Lord, he answered them with a more perplexing reply. They left dumbfounded, not sure what to say. Who is this man, the disciples once said, that calms the wind and the waves? It was written that they were astonished, all the people, at his wisdom. He taught them, not as one of the Sadducees or the scribes, but as one who exercised authority over the Old Testament. Of course he did. He inspired it. Some say you are Elijah. Some a prophet. 
all consider you at least a teacher. Nicodemus said it like this, thou art a good teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles except God be with him. Little did Nicodemus know how close to the revelation he was that Jesus was not only sent from God, but that he was God manifested in human form. Those disciples will eat and rest and find worth in themselves because they had the inside track with Jesus. They were bonded together as brothers. They even understood, howbeit in a foolish way, (laughs) that this was a movement and they had a seat at the head of the table. But then again, they vied for a place in the new kingdom, which Jesus would introduce. They just didn't know what it looked like. It had been a long day of teaching when the Lord turns to them and says, you know that it's just two days from now. Life is going to change. A blank stare. They were all heedless. The deafness came from their comfort. Off in the distance, some other men were meeting and they were also eating together. It was an assembly of men who were tired of this Jesus of Nazareth. He was taking their influence, disrupting their money flow. He was teaching a new doctrine which exposed their own greed and their own hypocrisy. They were the chief priests and the scribes and elders and those with a vested interest at disposing this man from Galilee. That's Matthew 26 and verse 3. And consulted that they might take Jesus by subtly and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. But they will indeed take Jesus. But it will neither be subtle or convenient. In fact, the Pharisees will violate their own law as Jesus will be crucified on the exact day of the Passover. These are verses 1 through 5. And then comes our text, verse 6 through 13. The Lord is in Bethany. It's a familiar place. He's been in that little area so many times. Now he's in a house where the owner is recognized, Simon. But he's no longer a leper. It's just his testimony. He was a leper. They called him in the scripture, Simon the leper. I want to pause today and say how I wish that we weren't all so worried about saying what God has done for us and where God has brought us from. Unnecessary pride has slipped into our testimony. We've removed who we used to be. We were lost, but now we're found. (laughs) Sin had us bound like a prisoner in a dungeon, but now we're found. Paul will write to the church, the saints of Corinth, to declare what sin is and what they used to be. Paul writes this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, nor executioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's a testimony that such were some of you. Please don't get upset now. But that was you. Oh, 
It's a little wearisome for me to see people come to church and forget what they were and act like they never knew anything in the world. Such were some of you, but now you are washed and now you are sanctified and now you are justified, but it wasn't by you or because of you or through you or because of something you have done or by heritage or by lineage, but it was by the spirit of our God. Yeah. Nobody has access into the Lord because they're good. You're not good. No one's good. Jesus said, none are good except one. That is the Lord. This is what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 says. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And here it is. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Oh, my. That's why the infilling of the Holy Ghost is so crucial. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. You need to seek for the Holy Ghost. By his spirit, he has set us free. By his Holy Spirit, he has brought us out and set us up. And now we have a testimony. Why do you call him Simon the leper? He's not a leper anymore. Why? Because Simon was the leper. Because he is, he is no ordinary Simon. This was the result of the touch of the master. No man can do these miracles except God. It was by his spirit, his immutable, incomparable, immeasurable, all-consuming, ever-present, omnipotent spirit. He cannot just be Simon, ladies and gentlemen. For that would be to dismiss the blessing of where he came from. So don't get all backward and bashful just to say, I came from somewhere. That's your testimony. I'll tell you what will help reach the world is for us to let people know that, that, that don't have the Holy Spirit, that they can come out because you came out. If people think that everybody who comes to church has it all together and always had it all together, you ought to tell them, no, that was a day. My name is Simon the drunkard, Simon the alcoholic, Simon the drug user, Simon the adulterer, Simon the fornicator, Simon the thief. I was Simon the secularist. I was Simon the intellectual. And I was Simon the atheist. But God washed me and he purged me and he sanctified me. Can't just be Simon. And for certain, no one has a dinner in the house of a leper. Lepers don't host dinners. Lepers are not allowed at the dinner. In fact, they're not even allowed in the city. They've, they've been given, they haven't been given access because they're not healthy. They had to be on their own, had a little community on the outskirts of town, outskirts of town. They, they, were, they were bound with bandages, head to toe, dying a slow death by an incurable disease. But this is Simon, the once upon a time leper. Such were some of you, so don't get too busy trying to cover up where you've come from. You were washed and you were brought out and you've got something to say to somebody I'm not foolish enough to think that the world is not suffering there's a great promotion and celebration dinners there's a party system for all the women who now have abortions but most of them are lying people are very sad 
You may not be walking around telling what happened to you, but there's a lot of people that need to know you were lost in sin and you went through that and God brought you out of that and he set you up and you still have the scar, but you don't have the pain. I hope you remember that this is chapter 26. The two days is the beginning of the multi-day Passover celebration. It's going to begin in two days. And Jesus told them what was about to happen. They heard it at the table and across town. And I quote, they were plotting to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But that night in Bethany in the house of the healed man, Simon the leper, as they sat to eat, a woman came in, barged through the house. She brought with her what could have been, probably was her dowry. It was worth a whole year's salary. You could have worked a whole year and had enough money to buy this jar. It was an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume and oil. Just a touch of the tip of the finger was enough to last a day or two. Jesus is sitting, he's reclining at the table. She poured it all out on his head. The ointment spills over his face and cheeks, and drifts down to his beard. It flowed down his shoulders and his back and his front and stained his clothes. It's now on his arms. The perfume, all of it permeates the whole room. She poured all of it out on him. There was just nothing left. Let me tell you that I believe it's a shame not to know the day of the Lord's visitation. I think, this is just my thought, that it's embarrassing for people who call themselves lovers of God and followers of Jesus Christ they call themselves believers and disciples and Christians, but they don't know the day of the Lord's visitation. Jacob went to sleep. He put his head on a rock, and in the night the Lord appeared to him. It was a magnificent display of angels and a ladder, and the Lord standing atop all of it. And when he woke up, this is what Jacob said. He said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. That's an embarrassing statement. That the Lord would be somewhere. And there's no knowledge of it. That his day came. Jesus once wept over Jerusalem because they were living carelessly and flagrantly. Not knowing the day of his visitation. Jesus said, if you even you had known this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. They looked right into his face. They had no idea who he was. Jesus said once to that woman, if you knew who it was, it asked you for a drink of water. Not a sudden revelation for people to profess him but have no feeling of his moment. I feel like that's embarrassing. It's a shame. If you have a prayer that you should pray for yourself, here, pastor, today. You should pray that you would be sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit and the day of his visitation. When he walks in this room and his presence hovers, we ought to know this is the Lord. I feel it and pause everything and just say, oh, 
But we're all going too fast. Too many people just living life, rushing by to have any time to sit at his feet. Instead of caring less, we need to care more. His visitation needs to be sought after and known. I think that's what was happening today. When the Spirit came in this house, I I prayed, oh God, just visit us and let us have a moment. I'm so grateful. Something happened to us. We just paused and just said, oh, now Lord, you are here, Lord. Recognize. I hope everybody recognizes it. The Lord is in this house. The Lord is in this place. I want to say, When the Lord's in this place, we dare not leave the house and say, man, God was there and I didn't even know it. That's the last thing that should come out of our mouth. We should be saying, saying, the Lord was there and I knew he was going to be there and I entertained him when I got there. That's right. I've walked in places. I felt something right away. It wasn't even a church. I've walked into a house before. We didn't know what was going on before we got there, but I could feel the power of the Spirit. Somebody had been praying in that house. Because when we walked in, I just felt the glory of the Lord in that place. I've stepped into rooms. I've stepped into places. I didn't know what had come before I got there. But I knew the Lord is in this place. And I just said, something's different about this place. I think the world needs to know wherever you're walking, there's something different about you. There's a spirit, an aura that's got to be the Holy Ghost, not just inside of you, but outside of you. We got to know the day of the Lord's visitation. But there's something worse than not knowing when he has arrived. It's not knowing the time or season of his departure. Oh, no. Jesus told them, I'm about to die. Passover, it's two days away. The feast will begin and it will be my final time. The Son of Man will be turned over to be crucified. But they were clueless. The enemy is plotting just a distance away, but the disciples are resting on their own satisfaction that they are intimate with the Lord. And while only one of them openly complained, They were all begrudging about the amount that was spent and the ointment and the cost. The lot of them did not see the significance. The entire jar of ointment, expensive perfume, was poured out. It left the room thick with fragrance as it dripped over the head and body of Jesus. You see, that woman gave her best. She gave her all. And to that one retort of waste, Jesus tried to pry their eyes open to the coming moments when he replied, you always have the poor with you. I'm not always going to be with you. This woman has poured this ointment on my body. She did it in preparation for my burial. They didn't even see that he was going to die. If you miss the day of the Lord's visitation, maybe there should be embarrassment and it For certain, there should be regret. That God was going to do something wonderful and we didn't didn't grab a hold of it. I've been there. I was inconsiderate and calloused. My mind was on other things when he was passing out grace and mercy. He came and I slept. He gave and I, I was indifferent to his gift. I missed his visitation. But I've learned to listen to him. And I've learned to watch for him. 
even when he moves in the most subtle and almost even seems benign ways. I've heard him in the mighty shout and I've listened him to him in the still small voice because that's every day that I live. And when I leave this pulpit, I'm going to be listening for him. Because I don't have a book about what I ought to be preaching next week. And I didn't go to the bookstore, the Christian bookstore, to plot out all the days. Because every day I'm listening. What does God want to say? Lord, these are your people. What do you want to say? What do you want to say? My ears are open. My ears are open. I've learned sometimes it's just a little thing that someone said or something I saw. Or, or I'm reading the Bible. And oh, man, the enlightenment. It's 530 in the morning. And I'm opening up my Bible. And all of a sudden the Holy Ghost comes in. And I say, that's it. There's the word. I can't wait to get to the word because I've learned to listen. But there's something greater than that. It's knowing the day of his departure. One thing I cannot miss, and that's the day of his departure. Now, we can all argue if she knew what she was doing. But Jesus said, this woman has anointed my body for my burial. Maybe, maybe she didn't quite know the gravity of the moment. But the fact is that if you know that you are standing at the end of it all, then the Spirit is saying this. Don't hold back anything. Give everything. If you know that the Lord's departure is at hand, do not hold back anything. You give everything you can to the Lord. You have to pour all of it out. Don't hold it back. Give Jesus the best of your energy and your time and your talent. If you miss this moment, it will be more severe than missing any day of his visitation. This is the most important moment of time. We can ill afford to miss the day of his visitation. And you need to know that while Christmas just went through and, and, and New Year's just went through, and now everybody's kind of just enveloped with the weather and what's going to happen and then college and school starting and all the things. Just know this, that the world is still on fire and the, and the time of his return is still very close. And if we don't get back to prophecy, you ought to know this. The prophetic time is now and the day's departure is at hand and we're going to get out of here. And if that's the day, you got to say everything. I'm going to give everything. I'm not holding anything back. I read the book of Jude. He eats my lunch. That guy, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, messes with me. He's got this little short, small letter. Let me just read a little bit. Verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Just pause. What? Nobody loves me. Keep yourself. Well, if they had more going on, I think I'd, I'd stay. What are you talking about? Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself. Keep loving the Lord. If nobody likes you, keep loving the Lord. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be asking someone else to keep you. You keep, you love the Lord. You, you keep that function, love God. You don't just love the Lord. You love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, your strength. You got near at the end of time. You ought to be giving everything you can to the Lord. Everything. What, what, are, you, what are you keeping back for? What, what, what are you holding on to? All right. That didn't go over as well as I thought. It's okay. It's Jude. He's messing with us. 
looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Ooh, there it is. What does that say? Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that, that this is temporal. All of this is temporal. It's all going to fade away. We're not glorifying anything that we can touch. There ain't nothing in your bank account that you're going to take with you into eternity. Not one thing. I don't care if it's your favorite clothes, your favorite shoes, your favorite watch. You can have all your favorites. None of that's going with you. You got a safe deposit box for what? What do you got that? To keep all your valuables? They're going to be here. They're going to be melting with a fervent heat. They're going to be wasting away. Somebody else is going to get that. Got all mad. Why? Someone scratched your car. Huh? Someone, someone did something. Okay. Get it fixed, but don't, listen, don't glorify that. We're, we're, we're going to eternal life. Keep yourselves in love with God because there is something beyond this life. And then he says, and of some, talking about the church and reaching people, have compassion because you make a difference with love. I love that. I want that. I hope I can reach you through love. But the point is for us to be saved. The point is for us to be saved. Because if we're not saved, nothing else, is, nothing else matters. And if we don't give our best about the time of his departure, we're going to be holding on to things and we're going to be accountable for things. What was that parable? All those talents given, and the one guy who had one talent, he buried it and did nothing with it. And even the master came back and said, you should at least invested it and got a little interest. But I gave you something, and you did nothing with it. Why? If you look at the end of that parable, it's an image of, of eternal damnation where Jesus is, is speaking the parable. And the master says, throw him into the, into the fire. It's a, it's, it's, it's a very disconcerting thought that God would give us something, but we wouldn't use it or hold it back because we think we have a lot of time. So through love and compassion, we're going to reach everybody we can because I love that. I'd rather reach them through love. In fact, we've reached more people loving them than any other way. But Jude doesn't leave anything out because if compassion doesn't work, he said this, and others save with fear because you don't want to go to hell. Hell is a real place. It's a real torment. I don't care. You know, I, I really, I do feel that, that, that Hollywood has dumbed it down and, and made it simplistic. And, 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 and they've made it like a movie where, where, where these, all these demonic spirits, you have no idea that when the church is raptured from here, the salt is going to leave and the whole world is going to rot. So I'm just going to tell you, you better get it right right now because you don't have time to lose. Here, here Pastor, there's a few of you, you've been given very small portions of your life to Jesus Christ. Not all. 
Now, maybe it's because you have fear or maybe because you don't want to totally commit, but I'm not up here just asking for a little bit. I'm up here saying you pour everything out that you can pour out. All that stuff you pour it out, you pour out your time, you pour out your effort, you pour out your, you, you pour it all out because Jude said you save others with fear, pulling them out of the fire. You hate even the garment spotted by the flesh. This is our best time, and this is our time to give our best. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go out to the street. We're going to go to our jobs. We're going to go to our schools. We're going to go to our neighbors, and we're going to give our best. And you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're going to pour out your time because God's asking for our time. Every time I get down to pray, I'm asking, Lord, what do you want of us? And the word keeps coming back. Tell the people. I want their time. I want their effort. I want their energy. Yes, we we give our funds to the Lord and our tithes and offerings. We return them to the Lord. But that's a requirement of you. The Lord is now asking for your time. He wants your time. You can't pay your way out of time. And some of us don't have a lot of time left. And the whole world doesn't have a a lot of time left. So I'm just up here preaching. Come on, we're going to give our best to God. Don't hold anything back. Don't tell me, well, I, I, I don't know if I can give everything. You can give everything. Now is the day to give everything. Years ago, I used to take attendance by where people sat. I have no idea who's here. I've been texting people the last three or four weeks, five weeks, saying, hey, I hope you're doing okay. They said, well, I was here, Pastor. I'm, I was on the left side, and now I'm on the right side. And then, listen, if you'll find a place, I'll know where you're at. I got you. Find a place. Plant yourself in that seat. And then make a commitment that you're going to give your best to find someone else to put next to you. Somebody needs to feel what we just felt today. Somebody needs to walk into this house and feel the visitation of the Lord's presence. Here's what I know. When we get an image of the Lord's departure... It'll give us a greater burden to introduce the Lord's presence to the people who've never heard it and never felt it and don't know about it. So you pour it all out. You break it all down and you give God the best of your life and the best of your time and the best of your effort and the best of your energy. Whatever you have, you give God the best. I promise you, he will never leave you empty. He, it will always be returned to you. God will bless your life. He has no creditors on his books. He loves everybody and he is not a debtor to any man. I'm feeling this in the spirit now. I'm not done, but I feel like we're, we're, we're just there now. We're just there. <laughs> I, I was asked this a few years ago. <laughs> it's been several years ago. When I was going to move on to another career. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't understand the difference between a calling and a career. I don't have a career. I have a calling. It doesn't matter where I'm standing. I'm always in my calling. I'm not the only one. You have a calling. You may have a job, but your job is not your calling. You can fulfill your calling through your job, but don't get confused. You are called. 
You've been appointed. You've been designated. You know something. God has given you authority and power and revelation. And today is the day that you change from just having a career to having a calling. And the day is the day you change from just enjoying the day of his visitation to understand the gravity of his departure. You're in the last days of time. Two days. And then comes the Passover. Two days, everything's going to change. And what did they do? They sat idle, not even realizing how close they were to a disrupted life. And the nest is going to be tore up and they're going to be scattered throughout the hillside. Two days. I'll tell you what I've been doing. I've been texting prodigals and reminding them of the doctrine. I texted someone about three, four days ago, and I said, listen, I just want to remind you, there is only one God, and there is no Trinity, and his name is Jesus. I want to remind you that there's only one name, and Jesus ain't baptism. I want to remind, this is what I said on my text, I want to remind you that you have to receive the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues, and I want to remind you that holiness is in the Bible. I didn't say come back to new life. I just wanted them to know. I know where you're at, and I know they're not preaching the truth. So I want to remind you what I put into you. Why? Why do I say that? I hope I didn't make him angry, but if I did, I just want to tell you, I got two days, and then comes the end. We got a little time, and then comes the departure. That's like the person walking by a house that's on fire and knowing there's people in and say, well, you know, it's just none of my business. It is your business. You've been called to rescue people, some with love and some with fear. All right. I'm preaching the word today because I'm desperate. I've got a desperate call on my life, and there's a desperate call on this church. We know too much. We've heard too much. You've seen too much. I say to all the saints of the Most High God, get up, get ready, get busy. Offer your time, offer your effort, offer your energy, and if you're going to break that box, you break it and you pour everything out, and you say, I'm leaving nothing in return. I've got nothing left, but I'm giving everything to God. Everything, everything, everything belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. Come on, somebody. Everything belongs to the Lord. Hey, uh, hop on the organ a little bit because who wants to play? Just some, I'm, 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 listen, we got no place to go. The pipes are frozen. <laughs> I'm preaching the word, but you're just looking at me because I think I'm challenging some of you because you're holding some stuff back that you need to let go of. You're, you've, been, you've been holding on. It's not just time or energy or effort. Some of you have been holding on to old grudges and bitterness, and it's impeding your walk with God. You say that you don't want it, but you're holding on to it because that's how you live. You got nothing else to say about, about life except what someone did wrong to you. I want to tell you, like I, like I told the guy who was wearing an Elvis shirt. Elvis is dead. Get over it. He ain't walking around. He's dead. He died a long time ago. Get over it. All the Elvis sightings everywhere. What? 
If he is alive, he's at Meadows Manor. Go find him down there. You'll see him. Because we're going to get out and we're going to get everybody and we're not going to hold anything back and we're not going to give up on the Lord and we're not going to, we're not coming here just to relax. You didn't just, you're not going to wake up in the day and say, hey, listen, how can I just get through the day? Stop acting like you got to get through the day. You got a job to do. You got a calling to do. The Lord has called you to do something. You've got the Holy Ghost and it's time for you to exercise that. Let me, let me tell you something, sister. I'm so glad you're back home. Now go get everybody you can and just fill up the roll until we're trying to figure out where to seat them. You're going to get a little comfortable and that's going to be to your demise. Watch, watch. He's calling wit for every day of your life to serve God, to love God to be a leader, to be stalwart, to be a pillar, to be a soul winner, talk in tongues, cry before the Lord. Yay! Yay! Come on, shout it out again. Hey! My, my, one of the great men in my life loved me. We were just kids. We didn't know. We were evangelizing. We were traveling around. And everywhere I would go, he'd give me some gas money. And he'd help me. He blessed our lives. His name was Galen Allen. He was a wonderful man of God. And he preached on a Sunday. This is what he preached on the Sunday. He said, the Lord's coming back for me. And this is what he said, and I quote, I see the moving trucks backing up already. Two days later, he fell over with a heart attack and died at 51 years old. Now you can cry about that, but I'm going to tell you, he knew the day of departure. And he was preaching the word on the day of departure. I'm going to ask you, what are you doing on your day? What are you doing on your day? You ought to be loving God. You ought to be shouting and magnifying the Lord because you don't know what two days is going to bring and you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring and you don't know what next one's going to bring. And you've got to say, I'm going to give everything I've got today, everything I have today. I'm going to give up everything today. Let, let me ask you, what if she had just poured a little bit on the head of Jesus? I don't know, it's kind of hypothetical. I'll just give you my personal thought. Do not make it into scripture. It's just my personal thought. I think if she just put a couple drops and held it back and didn't break all that open and just feel, she would have not anointed his body. It had just been a little offering. What if she'd have held some back for some money or some time and said, you know, I don't know about all of this. No, no, no. She took the whole thing and poured it all out. And that's why the guy standing around said, listen, this is a waste of money. We could have done something for the poor. And Jesus said, hold on a second. There's someone greater than the poor. You're always going to have poor people but me. You're not always going to have me. And I'll tell you, through the duration of time, it doesn't matter. We've already lost the war on poverty. A couple trillion dollars later, it never fixed it. It never will fix it because Jesus said, we're always going to have poor. But one thing we're not going to always have, that's going to have the presence of Jesus Christ. You've got to pour out everything that you have, everything that you have.
Stand with me now. It's warmer in here. I don't know why you want to leave. So make a commitment that you won't hold back anything, but you'll give everything to God. Your hope and your ambition and your time and your love and your effort, your energy. How about give up your pride? Give up your grievances. Give up your anger and your bitterness. Give up your disappointment. He's still the Lord of your life. He's still holding you in the palm of his hand. Come on. Amen. Right now, just lift your hand up to the Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm helping you. Yes, Lord. I'm holding nothing back today. Yes, Lord. I'm holding nothing back today. Yes, Lord. I'm I'm giving you everything. Somebody say, yes, Lord. Come on, say, yes, Lord. Come on, shout out, "Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm praying the spirit of the evangelist is going to come on the people that are in this house. I'm not talking about itinerant preachers. I'm talking about evangelists. I'm talking about evangelism and evangelizing, which means to go out and to gather and to bring back in. And if you want that, if you want to have that, I'm going to put the spirit on you today. I've got precedent. I've got precedent. Because God said to Moses, you can't do all this by yourself. So you, you call the 70 men in, get them in the courtyard. I'm going to put my spirit, your, the spirit I have on you, I'm going to put it in them. 68 guys showed up. Two were outside and couldn't make it. That's all the people watching on live stream. But even the people watching on live stream, let me just tell you, where's the camera? You can have the same spirit. If the two guys didn't make it to the courtyard because they were busy, the Lord still gave them the spirit of Moses. I'm going to put it to everybody who wants it on live stream. 68's here, two is there. Okay, amen. So if you want the spirit of an evangelist and evangelism, and you want the power to have that, to witness and to gather and to bring in, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to walk to this front and squeeze as close as you can to the front. Look at this. Now, when you get here, just call out to God right now. And I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray that the anointing of the spirit of evangelism would come over everybody that's standing here, Lord. I pray the spirit of boldness. We're going to pour out everything. I pray the spirit of courage and power. Speak out of your mouth, the Holy Ghost. Let that come out of your mouth. You are a witness in the name of Jesus. You're a soul winner. Pour it out, pour it out, pour it out, pour it out, pour it out. Pour it out.